Hello and welcome to Learning to Grow with me, your host, Barbara Rubio, relationships and identity expert. In this podcast, we'll be talking about all things relationships, answering some of the most common questions I get from coaching clients, and also bringing you interviews with other coaches and experts in the fields to shed light on a variety of aspects that can influence our relationships, both personal and professional. Today, I bring you an interview with the lovely Karen Messina MacDonald, who is a certified life and survivors of abuse coach, helping professional women survivors own their power. She's also the host of the amazing and really helpful Coaching Survivors of Domestic Abuse podcast, which you can find on Anchor or any of your favorite platforms. Karen is herself a survivor of domestic abuse, which is how she was able to connect with, advocate for and help women going through abuse for over 20 years while working as a paralegal in court. She later decided to shift the focus of her work from the victims to the survivors, helping women who are still suffering from the emotional trauma that domestic abuse caused them. Karen lives and works in New York, but through her online coaching practice, she helps professional women around the world to heal their trauma by discovering and owning their power. Not only is she super qualified and experienced, but she's also a lovely, lovely woman. And I'm really excited to have her on the podcast with us today. Hello, and thank you for that lovely introduction. So sweet of you. My pleasure. I'm really looking forward to all the things we're going to talk about because there are so many questions that I want to ask you. And I'm sure that our listeners also want to know a lot in terms of how to navigate and escape uh, and even recover from an abusive relationship because it's right. one of those things that unfortunately is more common that, than we realize. But before we dive into the topic in detail, I was wondering if you would mind sharing a bit of your own story of domestic abuse and how you managed to escape and rebuild your life. Oh, sure. I would love to. So, I was in an abusive relationship when I was 21 years old, and that is super young when you think about it, and I was living with this person. I was married for three years, and it started off okay, but now in hindsight, I see that there were lots of red flags that I just ignored or just didn't know what to do with, Hmm. so we got married, and little by little, he was very verbally abusive. It started off with being demeaning, belittling, and condescending. So those things happen so slowly that you don't even really realize they're happening. You're just kind of like, huh, that's weird. I wonder why he would say that, or why would he do that? And then as the relationship went on, he became more controlling, and then his abuse became more physical. So it was really very stressful for me because my parents are super awesome people and my life was always so wonderful. And my dad never even spanked me in my whole childhood. So having a person that thought it was fun to just knock me around or talk to me like I was not even a human um, was very, very difficult for me to manage. So I had a friend who lived across the street. Uh, When we moved into this house together, 
And she was very like boyish, although she was very pretty, but she was working on a car the day I met her <laughs> and she used to go hunting with her dad. So she was a little bit on the tomboy side, but she was sick of watching what he was doing to me. And she knew what was happening all the time. And this is one of the things, you know, people are afraid to, to say anything, but she certainly wasn't. And I don't really advise people to jump in the middle of a abusive situation, but she was like watching from afar. We lived across the street from each other and we had these big like picture windows in these houses that we happen to live in. And she could sort of see some of the stuff that, you know, wasn't really the abuse, but like the fact that I would be lugging in all of these groceries and he would just be sitting there like, like a king and not ever get up to help. Just simple little things, you Mm -hmm. know, that most people take for granted. But anyway, um, he had done one something, I can't remember what it was. I think it was, I had made dinner and he didn't like it. So he threw it across the kitchen and up against mm-hmm. the wall and then, then ordered me to clean it up. And like, it was just, he was treating me like a servant, mm-hmm. like a dog pretty much. And so she was like, that's it. I'm getting you out. I'm coming over in the morning and we're getting out. And of course I was terrified because he always threatened me. He said there was a gun in the closet, which I wouldn't be able to manage even if I could. Um, and he used to take this little thing off of my car so I couldn't leave. So most women would just be like, I'm leaving. I'm just going to get mm-hmm. my car and go. But there was this, there's a piece that if you remove it, the car won't go. Well, my friend from across the street mm-hmm. happened to be very good with cars. So she was like, what did he do? And so she found, she had that piece ready and waiting for me all the time in case he did it again and the day she decided we were leaving (laughs) she came in and dismantled that gun that was in the closet so she was like amazing I was scared to death she wasn't at all and uh, we packed everything up as fast as we could in the morning before I had to go to work we took the dog and all my stuff that I could fit into my her car I left the car, I left the wedding rings, I left anything he could come after me for. Mm. And she took me to my mother's, I dropped off my stuff, then she drove me to work and I was out. So that's how I, that's what happened and that's how I escaped. Now, in those three years, a lot of horrible things happened, but we don't need to rehash that. Uh, But it took someone like her to say, I'm getting you out of here. And Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for her, I probably would not even be alive that was very fortunate that, that you had a person like that and and who first of all noticed because a lot of people don't notice um yes and and who was willing and able to help you so much That's yeah it was amazing and for the three years that I was in it I didn't tell anyone and we typically feel you know, confused and humiliated and it's embarrassing, or you just think it's your fault and you do all these things that you're trying to constantly appease this Mm -hmm. abuser. Mm -hmm. And so I had a support system. I have a wonderful family, but I was too afraid to tell them for lots of reasons. You know, you have people that are, you're not telling them what's happening and they're, they're supporting you. Like they're invested time and energy into your relationship and your marriage and your life. And so you feel like you're letting people down, all this crazy mm-hmm. stuff. So I did have a support system and I probably could have gone to them, right? Uh, but I just didn't. And many people, many women don't. So that's why I didn't tell them until the end. Right. Yes. So that was going to be my next question because um, 
going back to your 20 years experience in helping women in court who are going through abuse and are trying to get out of the situation, um, my question was going to be, um, why are those women in, in your experience not reaching out to people? What is preventing them from seeking help? Because uh, in most cases, uh, not everybody has a friend like yours. So, <laughs> so yeah. what are yeah. some of the most common reasons why women don't look for help? Well, the most common reason is because the abusive partner is threatening them very subtly that they will harm or hurt their family. Um, it does turn into sort of a brainwashing situation over time. So you've been isolated. They manage to isolate you from your support system. They'll say things under the guise of love, like, oh, I don't want you to have to work. Um, let's move out to the country. It's beautiful there. You know, I'll, I'll buy you a house in the country. And I don't want you to worry about the bills. I'll take care of everything, right? So now they've got you in a position where you're isolated from your family mm -hmm. and friends and you have no one to talk to and you don't think at first you don't think anything's wrong. Like you don't know what you want to talk to people about when it becomes abusive. So it, for instance, with me at one point I decided I was going to just lash out because I was so sick of this. And that was the day that he tried to strangle me and I had bruises all over my neck. Now, don't you think I would have run out and told everybody, look what he did. This is my chance to get out. But I didn't. I, I put a scarf on and tried to hide it for the whole week until it healed. So, and I start, started thinking, why did I do that? But it's because you're embarrassed and you, you, you're so brainwashed and so confused. And there's no critical thinking going on because you're in fight or flight mode and survival mode that you can't really see past where you're at. So you're not really sure if anybody will believe you or take you seriously or you or the other reasons they don't reach out is because a lot of times people don't have family so they're like well what am I going to do I don't have a job now I have no control of the money where would I go like I would need to find a place to live I need to find a job first I all these things just seem to be too much so that's why people don't leave because it's just too much I guess I'd rather just stay here because I have a roof over my head and try to deal with this rather than go to a domestic violence advocacy group and get a safety plan in place where they would help you set these things up. Like it would take some time. They would, they would help you to secretly find a, you know, a job and get a bank account set up and maybe try to find a place to live and do all of that without the abuser knowing. So it's a, just thinking about that. They're like, Oh God, no, that's too much. I'm not going to do it. Mm. So now that you mentioned that safety plan, is that what a safety plan is, is, is planning how to get you safe and yes. escape your situation. Yeah, and I can't stress right. that enough. When people think that, so the statistics are that most women who die at the hands of an intimate partner die when they're trying to leave. Mm. They, the abuser will, will try to harm them when they're trying to leave because they're in power and control over you and they don't want you to leave. So the safety plan is about you lining everything up so and, and a domestic violence advocacy group in your town or wherever or, or the domestic violence hotline which i'll give you the, that phone number when we're done but they will help you set these things up in advance and secretly 
Mm-hmm. So you could be going on job interviews without him knowing. You could be setting up a bank account very carefully um, and, you know, finding a place to live that's secure. I mean, you could go to a domestic violence shelter, but I mean, that's usually not ideal unless it's like, I got to leave today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. If I don't, you go to a shelter and then they would help you set all the stuff up. But if you wanted to do it yourself, that's the way to do it. And then leaving is super important the day that you leave and setting up what you're taking with you. Like I've had women start to pack things a little at a time. So it's not noticeable. Like they might have a whole attic full of their stuff. And, you know, typically people don't go in their attic very often unless they're getting out Christmas supply thing. But, um, this one woman that I was coaching, she started to bring little boxes to her mom's house very discreetly, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It took some time. Mm. And then, um, then you start to plan it out. What would I want to take with me the day that I'm going to leave? Because the day that you're going to leave, he would have to be at work or you would have to be sure that he was gone the whole day. Mm. Also having a police presence the day that you're going to leave, you let the authorities know like this, hiding it is out the window when you're ready to leave. Like you're not going to hide it anymore. You're going to say, I need a domestic violence advocate with me. I need a police officer with me Hmm. and I need to know that I can move my things out safely. That is the way to go. And it seems scary, right? Like all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very scary. (laughs) That's why you can almost imagine um, the, the fear that any woman would have in that moment is that, what's going to happen after I'm gone? He's surely going to come for me. Right. And, and I suppose this, this, is, this is why the, the presence of the police is so important so that the man knows that actually this is a legal matter or you, you, they mm-hmm. are aware of the situation. Yeah. And, and I know it's different everywhere. Like you're in Spain, right? I'm in the United States. Like every state, every country has a different way of managing it. Like I know, I think it's California. If, if an abuser gets arrested or um, if they, somebody calls once they can throw them right in jail here, okay. they'll never go to jail. <laughs> I mean, there's every, <laughs> it was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so great. You know, but um, every place is different. So you could move out and then you have to immediately get an order of protection. So like, there's so many things to do. You go mm-hmm. right to the courthouse, mm-hmm. you get your order of protection. So there are things that help you, keep moving forward and safe because once you're out, it becomes then a police matter. Like when you're in the relationship, it becomes a, maybe a counselor or a marriage counselor or some kind of an issue. Uh, An abuser will never go to counseling though. But once you're out and away from him and he starts like stalking you or trying to harm you, then he can be arrested then. Mm. Yes, yes. And I and I do, for anybody listening who is either going through abuse right now or who is like your friend, who knows someone who's going through abuse, I guess it's really important to find out the law where you live. Right. And to what extent you are protected, because perhaps you we are assuming everywhere is going to be the same. I can move out and, you know, if they come to harass me, they will be arrested, but they might not be because right. in Spain, even if in theory that's the way it should be, it's actually not how it is. So, so yes, I suppose you have to make sure that once you come out, there is no way in the world that he will know where you are or... Right. Um, yes, I suppose that 
in some cases you may not be going back to say your mom's house or somewhere where you yeah. you know that he could go and find you if because people don't want to go to their mom's house because they're yeah. afraid he'll harm exactly. their family yes right so and um i have a, a client who she changed her name she changed wow. her social security number wow. and she moved into an apartment complex, <laughs> excuse me, that, well, he didn't know what her name was and he didn't know where she went, mm-hmm. but this apartment complex had more um, older people in it. It wasn't a senior place, but it, had, it just had more mature people living there. Mm-hmm. So there was a um, code you had to, to put in the door. So like if I wanted to visit her, they'd have to buzz me in. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she was just so smart about it. She did everything right. So she didn't need to leave the town we lived in, Mm. but she did all of this on the back end so that when she did move out, even though he was in the same city, he couldn't find her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I suppose for every woman, um, the situation and the extent that you will go to in to escape and be safe will be different. Right. Um, There isn't like one safety plan or one strategy that will work for everybody. So exactly. everyone's circumstances are different for sure. Mm-hmm. And even I suppose the, the, the period of time that it can take for a woman to be able to escape will also vary, right? Like you said, yeah. um, some women are in, in an emergency situation. They need to leave right now. So it's about pack up all your stuff and go. And some, yes. like the, the other lady you're coaching, is more planned, um, take yeah. things away little by little, don't be noticed. Yeah. And I suppose yeah. if you have children or, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't want to be noticed because you might fear for your safety, you want to be doing yeah. it that way. And it's the people who have children that have the hardest time. So when I was an advocate, um, so I, I didn't say this when I was talking about my, my journey, but I mm. started... Um, as a paralegal working in the court system, and I was an advocate for survivors in the court system for so long. And the whole problem was the women who had kids, like if they didn't have kids, they would simply leave and then never see him again or do whatever you could Mm -hmm. to not have him find you. But it's the people with the children that are forever tied to this person. So even if they escape, even if they find a place to live, they still have to do this visitation thing. And so this person maintains power and control over you because they use the children in a way, at least here in where I live, it's like they go to school, these guys, to learn how to do this, or they'll manipulate you and make you feel like even if they show up at your door and they're drunk, I only knew this because I was involved in everything to protect the women. You do not have to hand your children over to someone who you think is under the influence of anything. But because they were so fearful of the court system and they had gone to court and the judge said, well, you know, we're going to, you can have your order of protection, but the children still need to go for visitation. And in my mind, I think that's crazy. Uh, Like if a man is capable of hurting you, what's, you know, what if you have a two-year-old who's in the terrible twos and they're very, you need a lot of patience for that. So I used to get annoyed with that, but the, so the, these men will use the children to continue to have power and control over you. And it's very, very stressful on a Mm -hmm. woman because Mm -hmm. you're so trapped in that way. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Yes. But I suppose still worth going through just to make sure, first of all, you've got to be safe because the last thing you want to do is 
continue to live with this person thinking, okay, I'm doing it for the sake of my children, but then risking uh, your own death, yeah. I suppose, because that's that's what happens in many yeah. instances. And then just the thoughts of your children, just to, of that man being the sole guardian <laughs> of I those know, children, I, that's so I, scary. No, and when women say, I'm just, I, you know, I always want, I don't want to leave because I want my children to have both parents or my children to have a father. But I say to them, mm. do you really want you, because your children are like sponges. They are absorbing everything that's happening. They can tell the tension. They can feel that there's not love here. Mm. And so the, now you're going to have to unravel all of their damage once they get older and they get into relationships themselves. So I would much rather see a woman move out from an unhealthy relationship and be a single parent that's loving and nurturing and and guiding these children in the right way mm. rather than say well they still have a father well who wants a father that's going to be treating us all badly exactly exactly because our yeah. children are not stupid and, and and even the youngest child can they yeah. know when when daddy's hitting mommy and when when there are abusive words being thrown out and they yeah. suffer too and they can right. even pick up those patterns too right this is what they see happening or how they see their dad uh, or their mom respond to a certain situation yeah then when they become adults and this is why we are all so messed up as adults anyways because <laughs> we've all experienced uh, you know dysfunctional parenting to some extent or we've seen adults do yeah. things you know that we have picked up as you said because we're sponges at some point um, yeah and we believe that those things are normal or this is just our coping mechanism and yes. and it affects us as adults. So definitely, by all means, anyone out there listening to this, if you are going through abuse, get your safety plan in place and make sure that you escape the situation. Even if you have children, it is better, as you said, to be a single mom. And, yes. and to be a good role model and to, and to give those children love and what they deserve. And then right. I suppose once they grow up and they are adults, they can choose if they still want to right. see daddy or not. I mean, nobody can right. force them and anymore. Right. And they'll see, they'll see you for who you were and how you cared for them because children are terrified when like women just, they'll move from place to place and, they don't feel like they have a secure attachment. Mm. And so the attachment patterns that we develop, it really does determine how we're going to be as adults. So if your child is acting, sometimes they turn out like they're acting like the parent because they don't feel that their mother is making good decisions mm -hmm. because they're just not, you know, they're watching it and they're seeing it. And so next thing you know, you have like a young child, well, maybe like a young teenager type or maybe even a little younger kind of parenting the parent because the parent is not making good decisions. And that's when, you know, you've really going to done some damage there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I was just going to read you some of the statistics that I found. Um, this is current information. Nearly 15% of women and 4% of men have been injured as a result of intimate partner violence. That included rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. Then there's one in four women and one in seven men age 18 and older in the United States have been a victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their mm -hmm. lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then intimate partner violence. And they're using that term now in an IPV, 
instead of DV. That's more the new thing. Okay. Intimate partner violence alone affects more than 12 million people each year, which is just crazy. And that's in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's countries where the statistics will be a lot higher. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, and it's good that you've read the statistics because I think um, we often talk about domestic violence or intimate partner violence um, as being an issue that affects women. And of course, it disproportionately affects women. But let's not forget that there are men out there as well that have yeah. abusive partners and uh, that mm-hmm. they get talked about <laughs> a lot less yeah. <laughs> for whatever yeah. the reason might be. So if you are a man and you are in that situation and you listen into these, the same rules mm-hmm. apply, I suppose. Right. You still yes. have to escape and you will be able to access that um, safety plan and that support that you need if you just know yeah. where to look for it. And we're going to put some links mm-hmm. on the on the show notes later on, particularly for the US, but I will find ones for Spain. And then if anybody feel is in a different country yeah. and they would like to know any information, they can definitely get in touch with us and we will guide them in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really good stuff, Karen, um, for people <laughs> who are going through abuse and um, just to know that somebody out there cares, even if they're not in yeah. your circle of friends or if you're unable to tell your family about it. There are people whose jobs and whose passion it is to help others who are going through abuse. Um, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about the work you do now because after 20 years of helping people who were going through the abuse, you then decided to focus on the survivors, mm-hmm. not, not just the victims, but survivors, people who moved out, got on with their lives, found those jobs, um, rebuilt their lives to some extent, but who still feel... Um, that they're suffering from the trauma because it's not, it's not easy, let's face it, to, to recover from this. Yeah. So the reason that I in that direction is because I was seeing that people, so when I got out of the abusive relationship, my family wanted to brush it under the rug and they wanted to make it go away. Oh, you're, you're home, you're safe. Let's just never talk about it again. Hmm. So I started to see what kind of damage that was doing. So you, so people think, well, I got out. I'm good. I'm just going to keep going on with my life and do all the things I wanted to do before. But what happens is you have an emotional trauma. And I think almost every single person has some sort of emotional trauma in their life. When they have trauma, they think it's something else. But emotional trauma could happen if you see a snake or a spider, right? (laughs) So um, everybody has different levels of trauma. So these traumas get buried deep down inside and they get stored in a different part of your brain than other memories do. So they are more like on the surface. So that's why triggers happen so quickly. So you could be going along your day, you're working at your job, doing your thing, and then something can trigger you. Something as simple as the smell of something, the sound of something, even the taste of something could trigger mm-hmm. you. And then it could sabotage your efforts, your future and your job or your relationship or whatever. And then even more um, specifically, I started seeing that women in leadership roles, professional women, women who own businesses, 
I thought, my gosh, I'm a professional and I have had to deal with a lot of things in my life as I was going along and wondered why they went so badly. But it was because I never healed the emotional trauma from the abusive relationship. And so I was pulling from my past to try to create my future. So I work with women to help them try to identify the root cause and the original incident. Now, for me, I had this beautiful family, right? So what was my excuse? But when I was younger, I was very thin and very pale. (laughs) And so people would make fun of me. And I never felt like I was worthy. I never felt like I was pretty like the other girls. I never felt like I was part of the group. So I decided that there must be something wrong with me because everybody's calling me names and whatnot. And so when when I ended up with the abusive partner, I just assumed he was the best I was ever gonna get. And so that's how that started. Now, I could have been in an abuse. My family could have been abusive and I could have been seeing that, right? And then thinking, this is what's normal. You're, the man is supposed to yell at the woman or vice versa. Like I could have grown up with it and then try to sort out and find a relationship like that. That very often happens. So there's so many reasons why it happens, but once you get to be an adult, this starts to affect your adult life. And so I wanted to target women in business because I see that they're, they're standing up there, maybe giving a presentation or they're in a leadership role. Maybe they're managing a team of people, but yet on the inside, they're still dying. And I thought I would pull that and ask that question, thinking maybe I'll get a response, maybe I won't. So I got into a professional women's group and I couldn't believe how many women were like, oh my gosh, I am so suffering with that. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to reach out to those women as well and add them to, you know, all the other women that I helped to say, you don't have to feel this way. Mm -hmm. You can be back in control and have your power back from wherever it was when you lost it. Mm -hmm. And and I think uh, many times women will hide behind these high power roles. Yes, this is the way in which they can have some kind of power um, over a situation professionally, yeah. and and we enjoy it because is again it's like a coping mechanism or is a survival strategy that okay I'm lacking this in my personal life, so where can I find what can I do to to feel in control and 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 therefore it's not surprising that many professional women out there really high achieving women are actually living with this trauma and and yeah. able to find a better way to cope with it but just moving forward with it yeah and, and just not knowing what to do to feel better inside to the outside world they seem these fantastic successful women but deep inside yeah. uh, they could be very broken perhaps yes. they have functional relationships they might even be single and and so i can see yeah. how this work is really important for all women and men who have been in abusive relationships but i can see how a lot of women w- might hide behind these high power positions exactly that's what they that that is what happens so you're you know you are hiding behind it but then you know you could be crying on your way home from work because something someone said right or or you're you don't trust anymore so that could affect your work for sure that's definitely going to affect your relationships with people so these things 
are super important. And people think, oh, I can deal with it. I can deal with it. But yet they feel like I can't get past where I'm at right now. Like I made it to here. So what we do is we we base our life on what we've done, not on what we want to do. So like, the, who did I marry? What job do I have? What car do I drive? These are all things that define us right now. So we're, and we kind of define ourselves as a victim. You know, a survivor is a better title because survivor means you made it and you're strong. So I like to work with women to help rebuild, you know, their self-worth and, to show them that you didn't lose your power and control. You just weren't able to use it the way you should have been able to, mm-hmm. and that you were worthy simply because you were born on this planet. I can't say that enough to women. You are worthy simply because you were born on this planet and your worth was never gone. It just got buried away during the time that you were trying to survive in the relationship mm-hmm. and your focus was on surviving. Your focus was on making it from day to day, minute to minute, there was no critical thinking going on because you had to figure out how you were going to manage each day. So when women women get out of the relationship and then all of that stress kind of diffuses a little bit, all of a sudden you start to feel things and think things and be like, wow, I can't believe I ever put up with that. But that doesn't heal things. Mm -hmm. So with working with me, you're going to start to heal the wound and I don't like to spend a lot of time talking about the past because the past is over the second it happens, right? The people who are living in that nightmare are talking about it all the time yes. and thinking about it all the time and rallying people around them to say, oh, I'm wounded. And you get that, that little bit of attention. It feels good for a minute. Like, oh my gosh, what happened? Tell me all about it. So you're talking about it. So when you fill your thoughts and yourself with all of that all the time, there's no room in there to reach your goal or to move forward and move past it all. Um, and so really identifying it, like, this is what happened. So for me, yeah, this is what happened. I'm owning it. Did I make mistakes? Sure. I did. Could I have chosen a better person? Absolutely. I could, mm. but it's over and I'm not going to talk about it anymore and dwell on it and not I use it as my identity. My identity is that I'm a survivor. Mm. And I was just thinking of that word identity. I kept while you were speaking, and I didn't want to interrupt, but I was, <laughs> I was thinking to myself uh, because often when when we go through abuse or any kind of traumatic situation, we tend to identify with what happened to us, and we mm-hmm. we then create this new identity that oh, I'm a victim. Um, right. I, I'm a poor woman that uh, you know this happened to me, and and therefore this is who I am now. And I cannot right. change it. Um, whereas if you look at it from a different perspective, as you said, okay, you can look at it as a survivor, which is a slightly more positive and empowering word. Um, or you can not even give yourself any label and just say, look, that was a period of my life where I made bad choices. Like you said, you, you, there were red flags when you think back. But yes. you didn't you didn't do anything about it. And I right. think we need to take some ownership as well that uh, crap doesn't just happen to you for no reason. Um, you always have a level of responsibility um, mm-hmm. and accountability in anything that happens because you deep down, you allow it to happen. You, you, you did see right. it coming, but you decided to focus on something else. And, right. and we often 
feel so ashamed even to ourselves to admit that right. it's very difficult to admit to yourself that yes I saw that coming or deep down I knew he wasn't good for me <laughs> and I allowed it to happen yes and, yeah. and and we never think that things like that can happen to us and yet they do because as you say you know the of course, there is manipulation and everything. It's not like, um, you know, we willingly willingly go through it. Right. But but we do have um, the power to do something about it at any given point in the relationship. Right. Exactly. And, and so admitting that to ourselves is really, really, really difficult. But an yeah. essential part of the recovery process, I suppose, and the mm-hmm. healing process. So it's... Um, Yes, this is tough work. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, you know, during this whole conversation, I haven't said anything. But of course, you know, from previous conversations that we've had that I've also experienced something similar. And, and so although it didn't go on for three years, um, I can really identify with the whole process of seeing the red flags, not doing anything about it, not telling anybody, yeah. uh, putting makeup on to hide your, you know, your marks. Um eventually coming up with a safety plan, the whole process. But it wasn't until I sat down with myself and I, and I just admitted it to myself that, that I had something to do with it. I, it it yeah. wasn't entirely my fault, but I couldn't live saying I am a victim. I mm-hmm. had to change my story and say, this is what I went through and I survived and it's made yeah. me who I am today. And I suppose right. we wanna, we, that this is the journey that you want to get women through to, to being in a place today in the present where you're no longer identifying with your past. Right. right. And I want to, right. And I'm trying to get them. So I'm future focused when I coach. Uh-huh. So like, let's talk about where do you want to get to from here? Exactly. So, so everything that happened to you, stop talking about mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, identify it, own it. And then let's move on from it. I mean, you, obviously you can talk about it, but it comes from a different space when you're like mm-hmm. the way I talk about it. I'm like trying to educate people or help people. Um, and if you're talking about it, like, yeah, I identify as a person who was abused. Um, I'm not going to just keep saying I was a victim, mm-hmm. but it happened to me and I'm owning it and understanding it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to use it to my advantage and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to see the red flag that are coming at me in all different types of relationships mm-hmm. or even if I'm at work and like I had somebody trigger me when I was working um, I was a boss and I couldn't understand why I couldn't stand this woman <laughs> and so it was not even a man it was a woman I couldn't understand why I just could not stand her and I started talking to one of my friends and they said you do know that she's triggering you right I'm like no what do you mean and they're like she speaks to you in a belittling and condescending and demeaning way every day. That's what happened in your relationship. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, and so I ended up leaving that job because I couldn't deal with her. Mm. But if I had, this was a long time ago, but if I had thought about it, like, no, uh-uh, you know, I'm stronger than this and I'm above this and mm. you, I am no longer going to allow people to treat me this way way ever again in my life even if it's not a romantic relationship it's a relationship with someone that I have to deal with every day that's where I want women to get to I want women to be like 
I am going to be in control of my life. So when I talk about healing, safe relationships, safe environments, and finding purpose in your life, mm. safe relationships looks like you people are lifting you up, not tearing you down. Mm. Safe environments look like I'm in control of my finances. I'm in control of my outcomes. And I'm in control of the boundaries I'm going to set around what I will and will not tolerate in my life. And then finding purpose in your life is just waking up every day and doing what lights you up, you know, being excited to get out of bed. Um, And those are the three things that are known to heal emotional trauma. Mm. And that's where we start. And then we Mm. move forward from there. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful work right there. (laughs) Because even if you don't, (laughs) everybody needs to get to that place where you know how to manage those areas of your life anyway. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. And I guess the silver lining to trauma is that it's a catalyst for change and for growth. And unfortunately, through, through a painful experience, a lot of us get to that point because of those traumatic experiences. Like I, right. I've got my own, you've got yours, and, and we wouldn't be where we are today if it hadn't been for that. Of course, right. nobody wants to suffer uh, you know, <laughs> at all, but, I know. but there is a point to suffering. And I think once we realize that and we're, we become okay with the idea that suffering is part of life and it's, yes. it's there to teach you something about yourself, then you can look back. Of course, you first have to go through the pain yeah, and, and you can actually really build the life that you always dreamt of. It's almost like mm-hmm. it can be your fuel to to say yes. Mm-hmm. As you say, you find your boundaries, you have you find your values, you find your purpose, you find your even your community of people. Sometimes you don't have the right mm-hmm. friends or you don't have any friends at all. If right. you sort of like um kept you away from people, right? Yes. And so it can be it can be a real um catalyst for growth and for change. And if anybody yeah, out there sure. is either going through abuse now or living with the effects of abuse and feeling like there is no hope for me, there is no future, I don't have a passion, I don't know, I don't have a calling, um, you need to know that it, this is just a temporary feeling that can pass and that if you don't know how to go about it, to make it work, you can reach out to people like Karen um, or people in your community and mm-hmm. together, because oftentimes we cannot grow by ourselves as much as we can grow with others. So right. you reach out to somebody who's right for you mm-hmm. and who can help you move on and you will see before you know that, um, of course, it will take time <laughs> and it will take hard work, right? <laughs> Yeah, you have to be you have to be ready to do the work. You have to be ready to do the work, but everybody has a purpose, everybody has passions, everybody has a reason to be to be alive and to wake up every morning. Yes. Well, I'm going to say this. Um I wrote a couple things down that I had said in another um podcast. You are worthy as I said because you're born on this planet, you are so strong. You don't realize 
And of course, other people's opinions are none of our business. So we have to keep that in the foreground of our mind when we're worrying about what people will think. That's Mm. another big thing. Mm. Love yourself from the inside out so that having a partner in your life becomes icing on the cake. Mm. You don't need a partner in your life to survive. So I really want to impress that upon women that the first two things are that you are worthy and you are strong. And not to let anybody um, tell you any different. And I do have the, so the first place people can reach out, and I don't know how far this extends, but National Domestic Violence Hotline. And that's a 1-800-799-SAFE. And you can put that in the show notes. I but, will, yeah. And SAFE is 7233. So the National Domestic Violence Hotline is like a first call that you can make. And sometimes... And then the advocacy groups within your town. But sometimes if you have a good friend and they're, they want to help you. Um, I had this one woman where she, um, she had her put a phone number in her phone, but, but put it under a different name, mm-hmm. like something that he would never think. Um, so that if she was in dire straits or really needed help immediately, she right. could call it and not be worried that he'd be like, well, what's this number, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, little subtle things like that you can do or just giving somebody a number and saying, look, when you're ready, here's the number. You know, I will go with you. I will, you know, you can call me. You can call them. I will get on the phone Mm -hmm. with you. Like people who are in this need to feel supported. And even the women that I'm coaching afterward, they just feel like when I coach, I like, basically holds your hand through the process so that you feel like I'm, you know, how it's like you have a best friend, but best friends will only tell you what they think you want to hear. But they, people can call me and text me and be like, I really, you know, I'm going into this meeting and I just, this is where I struggle. I feel like I'm not worthy, even though I'm running this team. So I need to talk to you right before I go in that kind of support. That's important when you're, when you're past it and you're trying to run your life. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, I mean, even, even the most successful people and the, and the, the people that from the outside, we would think they're the strongest. Um, everybody needs a coach because anybody yeah. could lose, um, you know, that self-assurance and that confidence um, at a specific time. And so, yes. So sometimes we cannot be our own parent and our own best friend. We just need to hear sometimes things from the outside um, and and to know that, yes, uh, what I think of myself is what she thinks of myself or, or other people yeah. think. And, and just that reminder and that reassurance that, yes, of course, you're not just lying to yourself, repeating this mantra that, oh, I'm great, I'm great, I'm worthy. Um, yeah. It's a lie. But it does take sometimes practice and and listening from the outside for it to sink in yeah, exactly. <laughs> until, until you accept it because we we're often fighting like oh no no I'm not worthy because of all these issues we have yeah but we have to surrender and accept yes and love who we are flaws and all yes you know, I think it's only it's only at that point when you realize well this is me I'm yeah. not perfect I'm not whatever i'm great i'm fabulous yes exactly I, I am i am the best that i can be 
and love yourself right. that way, right? And 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 so this is our right. job, really, <laughs> to to help yeah. get to that place, so that then they can enjoy their professional lives, their relationships, and so on, and make better better um, informed decisions, have a better judgment right. when when it comes to doing things. Because, like you said, when you started your relationship, you were young. There were flags there, but perhaps you had beliefs about relationships or you had dreams that, you know, things were going to be perfect and so on. And so you kind of ignore your intuition. You ignore your knowledge because you're trying to live this this life, right? You're trying to be perfect. Yeah. And what we do is, well, the one thing that you liked about them that sucked you in in the first place. So Mm -hmm. the 5% of them that's like, worthy of anything we glorify that we make that everything yeah and so we're trying to ignore the 95 percent that's True. horrible True. right and so that's what women do a lot they will um they'll just make that the they're hanging on to anything any little bit of hope so they'll just make that their everything and then the rest of the time they're just dealing with the bad behavior yeah and yeah. that is really not what a happy conscious healthy relationship should be about as right well, at right all. exactly uh, so anyone you know listening um looking for a relationship or thinking that this was going to be uh, or that this is the, the perfect relationship for you it is not it's unhealthy right. to get out of it find help and then build yourself find who you are and love yourself for who you are, flaws and all. And only at that point, you will then be ready to enter a new relationship where, where you will be able to recognize people. Um, you will be wiser <laughs> and you will yeah. see, you will never be able to date somebody like your abusive partner because you will see it coming. You will recognize their bullshit and, yeah. uh, and, and it will not happen again. You, you will be better prepared. And unfortunately for me, for instance, this is how I got to where I am today because I came out of that abusive relationship and I was so clear about on, it took two years of reflecting to, to yes. realize these were all the red flags that I didn't see. And so, yeah. and so I had to become really strict with, I don't want any kind of person who resembles um, that partner or who displays yeah. those behaviors or who's going to be sneaky about things. And I became so much very suspicious on the one hand, but but wise on the other because yeah, go hand in hand. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, and and so you just have to know that there is hope. There's a future. Uh, it's not the end of your love life. It's not the end of your relationships or even family life. You can rebuild your life and yourself. But you need to find the help that that you require, whatever stage you're in. So um, thank you very much, Karen, for sharing all of that. Um, oh, you are if very anybody, welcome. If anybody listening... Um, feels like they would like to talk to Karen, um, to, to you, Karen, um, about any situation affecting them, where can they find you? Oh, on my website, which is karenmessina.com. And I offer a free mini session to people where they can get a free 
you know, 30 minutes or so just to see if we connect and see if we're a right fit and just to kind of vent a little bit and to get stuff off their chest. And I guarantee I always um, have people hanging up from their call feeling better than when they called. And, you know, at that point, they can decide if they want to coach with me or not. But I, I offer that free mini session. You can go on my Facebook groups where um, I have professional women survivors of abuse. That's one group. And the other one is own your um, own your power, a women's tribe of survivors. And in there where I tend to do my videos and I'm going to try to do videos in both, but there's a lot of good training there and a lot of good value. And I I know that a lot of women are in there and they're just watching and they're like probably waiting to reach out, but it's fine with me. I just keep giving value and offering as much as I can. So for those who just want to kind of be a creeper and (laughs) and just watch, (laughs) that's where you can find me. And sometimes that's all you need. You just need to listen to someone who knows what they're talking about and who that you resonate with. Because often yeah. this is also how we heal, right? We we hear things and yeah. it's, it's, it's only when you hear the right thing from the right person that it will click, even if you heard it a million times yeah. before. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody can relate exactly. to this. But one day the penny yeah. just drops and you go, aha, uh-huh, this is what happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. So don't worry if um, you didn't manage to write it all down. Um, I'm going to link everything on the show notes and um, definitely do get in touch with Karen and and join all her Facebook groups and and visit her website. She's doing amazing work and I cannot stress enough how important it is to address any kind of trauma in our lives, but particularly if you have survived abuse from a partner then you have to try your best to heal from it, no matter how long it takes. This is essential work because not doing so will not only affect you, but it will affect your relationships in the future. If you've got children, it will affect the way you parent your children, the way your children grow up. Um, so the repercussions are quite wide and, and um, it's just worth doing it and get into a happy life. Yes. Thank you well, so thank much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Karen, for joining us today. Perhaps we'll have you another day to talk about yeah. something else. I would love it. Uh, thank you. And until then, have a wonderful evening. You thank too. You. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.